Welcome to the J&J Connection Podcast. I'm Jesse. And I'm Jordan. Today, we'll be talking to our friend, Stephanie. Hello. About speech and language pathology, and possibly, if we have time, some Colorado living. Fact of the day, when you first meet people, it is common to forget their names, a phenomenon called the next-in-line effect. This is because people are too worried about themselves and what they'll say next to focus on remembering the names of people they're introduced to. That happens to me a lot, actually. Does, does anyone else have that? That happens to me literally all the time. Yeah, I, I do not do well with names. Well, it's not only that I can't remember names, it's that once, even if I think I know a person's name, I won't say it for fear of getting it wrong. And that might be a different type of, uh, type of problem, but. Yeah, I've, I've often done the, hey, how are you? And then just like look at their desk or something thinking they had to have put their name somewhere. Stephanie. Jesse. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm I'm doing well. Um so you actually have given us some fact of the days to put on the podcast. And then we got to talking and then decided to have you on because you have an interesting field of study that I think you can tell us and our audience about. Yeah. So um Actually, today is my last day of graduate classes, so mm-hmm. like tomorrow, I guess I can officially say I'll be a speech-language pathologist. By the awesome. t- well, by the time this comes out, you will be. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so, um, before we get into that, all of us went, like, we all went to the same high school, so why don't you give us um, a little in-depth on who is Stephanie? Um, yeah, I guess I'm... I'm from Hookstown, just like you all, and went to high school at Southside, and after I graduated, I went to Kent State University, got my Bachelor's of Science in Speech Pathology and Audiology, and then I moved to Colorado, and that's where I was getting my Master's of Speech Language Pathology, and yeah, so like I said, I'll be done with that. And I'm going to stick around in Colorado, and I'll be working for um, an elementary school next school year. So Nice. Mm-hmm. So why did you decide to go for speech pathology? So <laughs> I was never one of those people who knew what I wanted to do, <laughs> but <laughs> I knew I wanted to do something in the field of serving other people. And originally, I thought maybe I wanted to be a teacher or maybe like a pediatrician. And I felt like speech pathology is a really good combination of those two kind of fields. So it's a lot of science, but also a lot of humanities. So I thought it was a good combo. And I wasn't even sure when I started my major in college if I was going to stick with it. But then I really fell in love with it and took it the whole way through my master's. So here we are. So, what what is exactly speech pathology? What? <laughs> so, it's, that's a great question. It's Thank a you. very broad field. <laughs> oh, um, I guess just to break down the the simplest parts, speech and language. Speech would be um, 
how you make sounds to make words. And then language is anything you do with those words. So sentence formulation or narrative construction, um, any of those types of things. And uh, speech pathologists don't just do that. They also do um, a lot with cognition. So we'll work with people who've had strokes or brain injuries. Um, yeah, we do a lot of things with cognitive factors. And then also um, swallowing disorders in both children and adults. So that would look like in children, um, if you had a baby who was premature, um, you would probably see a speech therapist to work on feeding with them so that they're able to gain weight and everything. Um, mm -hmm. And then with adults, it's usually more in geriatric populations. Um, when they start to lose muscle mass, uh, we would work on therapy to build that back up or like compensatory strategies so that people are still able to eat. See, so, that's a general overview. <laughs> well, I actually identify with, with one of those, and I started thinking, like, do I have this problem? <laughs> it's because I'll often, I'll just take a drink of water while I'm trying to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a, it's not a good strategy. <laughs> I, no, it's not. It might be a different problem. But I, I do that more than I'd like to admit. <laughs> so is that um, is that something like... Not Formally diagnose you. <laughs> <laughs> You're only a um, But I can tell you that that's called aspiration when you take a drink of water while you're also breathing and then you choke on it. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I do it, I'm like, I'm such an idiot. Why do I keep doing this? <laughs> it's funny because now, like, now that I'm in this field and I know a lot of my friends feel the same way, like, Everyone does that occasionally, but as soon as you do it, you're like, oh my god, I have a swallowing disorder. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Buddy, so, you were going to uh, say something? So, what exactly does your training, or what does that look like? Is it more of an academic setting that you're learning in, or is it a uh, sort of how I imagine a uh, residency for a doctor would be? Are you actually like going and seeing people and uh, getting a hands-on approach or hands-on uh, appreciation for people with these problems or is it more like a uh, academic study yeah so um you have to have your master's to be a speech therapist so all of the undergrad classes are all um academic like you were saying so you don't mm -hmm. really see clients but you have to do observation hours mm -hmm. so you would go in and watch a speech therapist who's already practicing um to kind of get a a feel for things and then at the master's level you're doing both so you have um, the same level of coursework as like a typical master's degree and then on top of that you do clinic hours um, so the way that our program was structured was we spent the first uh, four semesters in the university clinic so we were seeing people um, who had speech or language impairments face-to-face, um, -face. and then you have a supervisor who watches from like a, a one-way mirror, and um, you do that for the first four semesters, and then the last semester you do internships, which are off-site. So that's what I've been doing right now. Um, so that's a little more, a little more hands-on in a lot of ways, because you're basically spending all of your time with clients rather than also doing the academic side of things. Mm -hmm. So 
yeah, that's what I just finished up um, were my internships as of today. So. Well, while we're on that, how do you do that from being remote? So um, the first part of my internship was in person. Mm. And then in March, that changed to uh, telepractice, which is what they would call it. Um, it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> we do it through like Google Meet. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's nice. I was working in an elementary school, so a lot of the kids, they're pretty tech savvy, so um, they're able to get on and for the most part it works out, but there's always at least a few technical difficulties in a day. But um, so we see them through the computer and then there's a lot of screen sharing for materials. Um, yeah, it, it looks it looks similar, but obviously you're not face to face with a client anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And I guess Which is hard. <laughs> and I guess you gotta hope that their their mic isn't really affecting the sound of their speech. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, for some certain things, it's it's not too hard because you can see like tongue placements and things when you're looking at the kid. Mm -hmm. um, so in in some ways, you can still kind of figure it out even if the mic isn't great. But that is certainly a factor, <laughs> and it certainly makes it more difficult. But I'm really glad that we at least have that option because there'd be so many people who wouldn't be receiving those services otherwise. So it's nice that it's at least the possibility. So people aren't missing out on important services that they need. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That's gotta be something to do over, uh, uh, Skype or, or whatever the, whatever the meeting platform may be. Cause I just thinking back on when I, I did some, uh, shadowing of a physical therapist for 200 hours and just imagining what that would look like whereas i have no expertise and i'm mostly there just to observe and then you have a patient and uh someone who's actually going and treating just that's got to be that's got to be a heck of an environment to try to learn and sort of uh, get as much information as you can out of right so what oh go ahead go ahead no, you go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to agree more with Jordan. Oh, okay, yeah, it, okay. It is oh, okay. Okay. You make it work. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for shutting up, Jesse, so we could get that out there. <laughs> so when you um, started going for this, did you have to change, like, the way you speak and pronounce words? Yeah, so the most part, no, but there's definitely certain clients um, where you – want to change how you're talking and um two of the ones that like really stood out to me were uh, i did a rotation in a preschool and so we were seeing both typically developing preschoolers and then also preschoolers who had developmental disabilities and um sort of the philosophy in this preschool was that you don't ask kids questions which is really hard because mm. Most adult interactions with kids, you're like, oh, how are you today? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite toy? But the way that they wanted you to do it was to only speak in comments. So, like, if a kid was playing with a toy, you'd be like, oh, I see you really like that cow toy that you have. <laughs> and then that sort of encourages the child to speak with more formulation of a sentence as opposed to just, like, giving you a one-word answer. So it gives them more language opportunities and opportunities for growth than if you're constantly just asking them, like, 
one-sided questions that they have to answer. Right. So um, that was definitely difficult because <laughs> you're like constantly monitoring what you're saying to make sure that you're doing it correctly. Right. It's like they were training you to do a podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All this time I've been practicing for this moment. <laughs> this one moment. This is where you peak. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, and then the other the other scenario that um, stood to me too was I was working with a client who has aphasia, and so that's uh, when somebody has a stroke that's on the left left hemisphere. Mm-hmm. They typically lose some kind of um, language ability in one way or another. And uh, he had what's called conduction aphasia. And so if you were to talk to him, you would realize that something with his language was wrong. But for the most part, he was able to communicate pretty well. But what was difficult for him was receptive language. So understanding what other people were saying and making sense of that message and then acting on whatever that message was, whether it was a direction or something he had to respond to. Mm-hmm. So that was something I really had to like slow my rate of speaking so that he was able to process everything that I said. And your messages become a lot more concise because we tend to use a lot of words we don't actually need to get our point across. So mm-hmm. that was definitely another thing I had to be very conscious of while I was working with that client. Why use lot word when few word do trick? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, you still want to model correct grammar. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> wow. um, so is that's I don't know. That's just that's amazing to me. Sort of just the. It doesn't occur to me as 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 someone who also or who just does research that I have to um, change how I act in every way in order to effectively make a. Uh, to make an impact on somebody. I don't know. That's just that for me, that's just, that's a lot to process. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like I said, for the most part, you're still able to speak pretty normally with people, but um, you definitely are hyper aware of it at all times. <laughs> mm-hmm. So is this something you would work with, with like, um, I don't know, say someone from the South and like try to get a twang out of somebody's voice or, yeah, so um, there is there are speech therapists who do accent reduction, and I actually worked with a client um, who's from France, mm-hmm. and she was interested in accent reduction uh, or modification. And yeah, so it is it is possible to do, but for the most part, we don't consider that. You know, there's a fine line. You don't want to consider somebody's accent to be a disorder or a disability right. because a part of who they are so we'd never say you know you need to have your speech changed for any reason um if it was due to a dialect or an an accent difference um but some people do seek that out so that is definitely something that is on our caseload or is within our scope of practice Mm -hmm. what's the demand like for speech pathologists because i i sort of i I know you and one other person who said they wanted to set out to be speech pathologists and sort of met a few um, while uh, TAing labs. Is it like, are, is it just high demand or is there a, uh, a, a push from somewhere coming that says we need this sort of uh, participation or is it just sort of a fancy of yours that, uh, that has all these different applications? 
Yeah, so, I mean, there definitely is a high demand because, like I said, there are a lot of people who need speech pathologists. We work with people from the day you're born to potentially the day that you die. So there's a wide variety of things that speech pathologists can do. And so there's definitely a high demand for them. And especially in the school setting, um, because there's so many kids who have speech and language needs, but since there's usually only one speech therapist per building, um, they can't always fill those positions. So there's a pretty high demand for them. But there's also a bit of a bottleneck at the graduate level. So there's a lot of people who major in this in undergrad, and it's so difficult to get into grad school that and people are actually qualified to be speech pathologists. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's it definitely, I mean, I would encourage people to, if they're interested in it, definitely <laughs> give it a shot at least. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, it really is a, such an exciting field because like I said, it's so, there's so much variety to it that I know I'll never be bored and you don't have to specialize in any one thing. So you come out with your master's being able to work with all of these different populations. So if you want to, like I'll start out in the schools, but if I wanted to eventually work in a hospital or a nursing home or any other type of setting, Mm. I could change to that. Of course, there's like continuing education that you need to always be doing, but most professions have that. So. Mm What's one of your like most positive experiences so far? I know you've only been uh, just like shadowing and helping some clients, but what what's the biggest payoff you've had? Um, so actually, that client I was talking about earlier, um, who had conduction aphasia, uh, our goals when I was working with him um, were that he wanted to return to work. So he had had this stroke several years ago and was hoping to get back into work and so all of our goals were focused around like following directions and things that he would need for the specific job he was looking for and um so we worked all summer on that and then in the fall I found out that he got a job so that was super exciting Mm because all the hard work that we had done had paid off for him so that was definitely a highlight of my graduate career for sure (laughs) that's awesome Mm -hmm. And I've had, I mean, working with kids, too, um, and like I said, I'm going to be working in an elementary school next year. Kids are just so funny. <laughs> like, they say so many random things. And so, I, like, every day I feel like I have so much random information that children have shared with me or things that they think are funny. Mm-hmm. And th- there's never a dull moment when you're working in an elementary school, that's for sure. So is that where you think you want to end up? know so that's where I'm going to start out um I'm not sure if I'll stay there for my whole career mm-hmm. because like I said I really like the diversity so I might it up a bit at some point but so far that's where I'm going to start and I'm really excited about that so that's good at least you have a place where you're starting after you graduate yeah yeah definitely thankful for that because I know that and for a lot of people right now, finding jobs is pretty difficult. So It is extremely difficult. <laughs> I can speak from experience. Yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, for, for healthcare professionals, they're kind of in a different boat than most people right now. Right, so. yeah. So, buddy, I think you wrote this question. Uh, we've been skipping around. I know. <laughs> How does it happen? 
<laughs> uh, which I, you already said you said stroke and then how does a how does someone need a speech therapist or how does the actual therapy happen see i think george i think george wrote this, this question book. it's at the bottom of page two <laughs> uh... i'm happy to talk about both how someone might if, if you want, or how the actual therapy happens, it would if, be fun. If, if you want to interpret that generously, like I actually asked a helpful question, you go right ahead. I, I won't stop you. Um. Well, I guess I can say, like, you know, some people acquire things along the way. So we see a lot of people who have had acquired brain injuries. Um. Like I said, we would usually treat those people for both language and cognition, depending on the severity of the injury. And as far as the actual therapy goes, it's, I mean, obviously it's going to look different for every person, depending on what their need, their specific need is. Mm -hmm. Um, For the most part, it's a lot of like guidance from us on how to do something or creating opportunities for someone to do it on their own and then trying to like reinforce those behaviors, especially with kids. Mm-hmm. So for example, I, I worked with um, one little girl who had microcephaly. So um, that's when you're born with um, a smaller skull and a smaller brain. And um, so she didn't actually have language yet. And we had to take, anything she did as a communicative intent. So like if she would How old point was she? to something, she was four. Oh, okay. So if, if pointed to something or like motion to something, we would bring that to her. So then she understood like, mm-hmm. when I do this, something happens. Mm-hmm. So like getting that cause and effect down. And we worked on like, if she clapped her hands that we would interpret that as meaning like, I want more. So we'd do more of whatever we were doing. So then she would start to develop those patterns of understanding like, oh, when I do this, other people do this. And that's how communication happens. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the times if somebody was watching a speech therapist, they'd be like, you don't actually do anything. You're just sitting there playing with a kid. (laughs) (laughs) So sometimes it's not actually about the speech it's more about how to effectively communicate yeah and i would say majority of our job is helping people communicate to the best of their ability so we definitely do speech and articulation so like lists or people who have trouble saying are any speech sound we definitely do that but a lot of the field is making sure that people can effectively communicate their needs. Um, even if those are just at a basic level with like a yes, no button or, um, picture exchanges. So like having a picture of food to say like, I'm hungry or tapping a picture of a bathroom to say, I need to go to the bathroom. Um, even if it's at that basic level, but also do their level, um, language demands too. So, Hmm. How would you? Yeah, I never. Oops. Just to say, when, uh, when I got into this, I definitely only had the view of it from schools because that's all I, I had seen growing up um, mm. was just how speech pathologists operate in a school. And even when I got to graduate school, I don't think I really realized how vast this field is. So it's a lot to take in in two years for sure. Mm. Yeah, really, especially the 
communication aspect. Like it, it makes sense that that sort of branches off of speech because the one of the most basic functions of speech is to like prompt action. But the whole communication thing, I would have never guessed. I would have, I would have thought that more like an occupational therapy. Right. Well, it, it almost sounds like this is occupational therapy in a way. Just yeah, like the of it. I mean, definitely, speech therapists collaborate with occupational therapists pretty frequently, um, especially in like acute care settings and hospitals when mm-hmm. you're really just trying to get those people's basic needs met before they are released from the hospital. Um, yeah, so it does overlap in a lot of ways. And like I mentioned earlier, cognition um, falls on speech therapists. That's how it is in the United States, but actually in Canada, um, I'm pretty sure occupational therapists would take the majority of the cognition caseload. Mm-hmm. And cognition, and it's obviously a broad term, but um, memory problems or attention, um, those types of like executive functions. Mm-hmm. How would you... Oh, actually, never mind. I guess that would answer. I was going to ask the question, uh, how would you train someone who's deaf? But you already said uh, oh. communication... Well, actually, I mean, it's very specific um, for working with people who are deaf, but that's not something I've done practically yet. Like I've had classes in it, Mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely not something that I would be comfortable doing on my own yet. Right. Um, A lot of it depends on ear implants, amplification, what they have access to with those like external devices mm-hmm. and you build on that from there so if they're able to hear like these sounds then you start to build with what they have and obviously like focus on the strengths that they were given and move on from there but um it is super interesting to see how uh speech therapy works with deaf clients mm-hmm. for sure and uh, yeah, one point I wanted to talk about too with uh, in someone who's deaf is lingsic sounds. So that's like the very base level um, of what we would work with. So the sounds are ah, e, u, m, sh, s, and they range these frequencies of speech. So um, you get to see like what a person has access to their amplification. And then from there, you can kind of figure out, like, okay, they have access to these higher frequencies or lower frequencies, and then build off of that for mm-hmm. communication. Okay. Definitely a lot of sign language is involved. Um, speech therapists, not only for people who are deaf, but um, we also use it pretty frequently for young kids who don't have language. Um, a lot of times, if they're not able to verbally produce language, they can still get some kind of um, language communication from um, sign language. Oh, so you had to learn that too. <laughs> it's amazing that's, the amount of that's a just lot. Uh, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> it's amazing how much how much like cross cutting research must have been done because it, it just you um, talking about being able to hear certain frequencies. Um, from the sixth sound sort of sparked in my brain is that, you know, there's probably neurologists looking at this. There's probably uh, so much collaboration between uh, neurologists and uh, psychologists and people doing this this kind of work and actually seeing patients. And it's just, it, it's amazing to me sort of that a field like this is so 
mature given that how much communication and collaboration has to be done to just do some of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you're talking about neurology and psychology, and those are two huge components of what we learn on the academic side of things. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to like be able to do a crash course in both of those even get anywhere in the field of speech pathology. Mm-hmm. So you have to really understand how things are happening and how, how that's happening in the brain. And if this part of the brain is impacted, then how that might look on the outside. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so you kind of get to be like any neurologist and psychologist all at the same time. <laughs> so how often do you have to re-up your training? Like you, you alluded to it earlier. Uh, do you know how frequently you have to take tests to certify yourself? So we would do continuing education. And there's um, so the American Speech and Hearing Association puts out standards of like how many hours of continuing education continuing education you need by however many years or you know whatever the timeline is for it mm-hmm. um but you you pretty much always have to be doing it <laughs> and like I, I said it's so various like there's there's so many things that we have to keep track of all at once that mm-hmm. the research changes pretty frequently too so mm-hmm. sure, i'll sure. be doing continuing education for the rest of my career mm-hmm. um you want your nurse and your doctor to have most up-to-date information and not what they learned in graduate school like 15 years ago so. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah something to look forward to yeah definitely <laughs> so how would i guess I, I don't know if it's wrong for me to ask you to diagnose something but i, I want jordan to say a word okay oh boy <laughs> Because I've heard you say it a lot, and I, I, it doesn't sound right to me. I'm going to have you say a word, and then I'm going to have Stephanie destroy you in the process. Okay. I'm off, I'm off. And if I say it wrong, feel free to destroy me. <laughs> Available. Available? Say they are available. They are available. Mm, you're not doing it. I'm, I'm sort of. I can hear myself slurring through it. But... Yeah, <laughs> you, you sometimes slurred. They are available, is what you would sometimes say. What I'm trying to get at is, how would you train someone to say that correctly? Would you just slow them down? Um. So, <laughs> probably would not. Uh, put someone on our caseload for just one word, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but from what you're describing, it sounds like maybe he's like lapsing the central syllable, which um, there's like a weak syllable within a multisyllabic word. People don't put as much emphasis on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could possibly be what it is, or it could just be like a vowel difference. Um mm. So you wouldn't really not, pay attention. Well, that, well, that, I'm, well, I really was paying attention, but no, I was saying <laughs> you wouldn't pay well. attention to something like that. That wouldn't be oh, like yeah. a first. Like you don't really have a problem, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean if you only say the word available wrong, I'd, I'd say you're doing pretty well. Yeah. It's not like you said yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, if you said yes, that would, that would be enough. <laughs> That's so, well, <laughs> well, that helps me out with another question. So how do you get to a point where you're comfortable? Because if I want to say available the correct way, and I say it the correct way, like that's just a difference of me choosing to enunciate right. correctly. Like, because I've been told I sort of slip into Appalachian accent if I'm if I'm just sort of talking fast or something like that. So, what is the, I guess, diagnostic standard for what is basically just controlled by really careful enunciation of words? I. I don't yeah, know how to so, frame I mean, that any better. We have standardized <laughs> tests for articulation. Um, probably the most frequently used one is um, called the Goldman Bristow test of articulation. And um, so what you're describing, uh, a lot of dialectal, dialectal differences come from vowels, mm-hmm. whereas um, most of people on our caseload who have articulation needs, that comes from consonant production. Mm-hmm. Um, so like with the standardized tests, just, um, picture cards, and then you have the person name what the picture is, and then you write down, um, exactly what they said with mm-hmm. specific sounds. Um, and we use what's called international phonetic alphabet. So instead of spelling what they would say, you would write it kind of like how you see how the, um, pronunciations are in the dictionary mm-hmm. where it like breaks down, um, with those different symbols. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, like I said, a lot of the differences that get treated are from consonant issues. So you know, if you have someone saying a W for an R, or um, you'll see a lot of kids who stop sounds. So like if they're saying sun, they'd say ton. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that are usually more what we see. Uh, you're talking about like slipping into an Appalachian accent. Uh, a lot of that comes from vowel differences, um, which will make people sound. If two different people say the same word, it might sound different um, for each of them because of how they pronounce the vowels. Which, if you're still being understood by your listener, then it's not really a problem, right? So mm-hmm. we wouldn't we wouldn't try to change someone just because they say their vowels differently. <laughs> Unless you're Jesse, right. it sounds like he wants to change the way you say available. Yeah. <laughs> we well, there was one time we had to do like uh, I I we took three takes to do it. <laughs> but that was before <laughs> we had our guests start saying it. I'm the nuisance, so. <laughs> <laughs> um. But also, maybe just avoid that word in the future. <laughs> yeah, just take it out of your vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> I get difficult. No, but I I realized I do it too, though. Like when I go, we all have like some words that we say, and sometimes you catch on to it, or sometimes somebody points it out, and you're like, oh wow, I definitely do that. (laughs) (laughs) Like I, there was a word I said in our last podcast after going back and listening to it. I don't know how you understood me because I definitely said it. We were talking about books. But I said the word books instead of the word I was trying to say. <laughs> and I can't remember what that word was right now, but I knew it was wrong. Yeah, those context clues are sometimes a lifesaver. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you're a good podcast co-host, you don't point out how people say things wrong. But, you know, 
But it's, hey. a, it's good as it's good as long as one of us knows that. <laughs> yeah, as long as one of us. Will say though, people people ask me all the time, and especially my friends will who are not speech pathologists will ask me. So, are you like constantly analyzing everything that I'm saying? <laughs> Definitely not. So it's like, what's you ask me? Then I would, but I I don't <laughs> listen to people all day and diagnose them in my head. Right. Is there anything else you can think of for um, speech pathology that we haven't gone over yet? Um, I guess I, I wanted to just touch a little bit on um, speech pathology and the role with COVID nineteen. Okay. Um, cause I feel mm-hmm. that's that's pretty in the news right now, mm-hmm. and will need to be. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So that's it's definitely going to caseload of speech pathologists because um, a lot of swallowing disorders um, can happen after somebody is intubated. So after someone's on a ventilator, and especially if they're on a ventilator for an extended period of time, mm-hmm. um, when they're extubated, they they would receive an evaluation from a speech therapist, and um, oftentimes they end up being treated for a uh, swallowing disorder. Um, and, and most of the time, I'd say it's probably short-term, but it will definitely uh, add those patients to caseloads, and especially in hospitals. Um, and also there's, and of course, I'm not an expert in COVID-19 by any means, but <laughs> I've heard um, that there's some evidence that People who come off of ventilators or people who are recovering have um, difficulty with like cognitive orientation. So like understanding where they are and why they're there and what's going on around them. Um, And again, that's usually something that's short term. Uh, Again, that would fall onto the speech therapist caseload. So um, Mm -hmm. those will definitely be the main things that uh, will not change the way the speech therapists are operating, but uh, certainly be impacting how they're already operating mm-hmm. in the hospital setting, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of, yeah, not until, it. it's easy to forget about what goes into getting on a ventilator, I guess. I, I sort yeah. of forgot it as well, but like, I, I don't know if you can go into too much detail, but what, what exactly happens with uh, intubation that, need generally needs corrected after that just so uh, we all have a tiny bit of background and we don't have to go into too much detail about it but yeah so i think um a broad level it's a lot of the musculature um that ends up being weak afterwards so you know on a basic level you're not eating and you're not drinking when you're on a ventilator so you're not actively using those muscles Mm. and like we swallow our saliva constantly throughout a day um you just like anything you know if you didn't if you didn't walk for a week you'd have muscle fatigue and you'd probably need correction after that so it's like a very uh, general overview of it i guess how would you train someone to to learn how to swallow again um (laughs) pretty in-depth but uh um can have like compensatory strategies so that would be um like maybe tucking your chin while you swallow or if you had a weakness on a certain side then maybe like turning your head to the side uh when you swallow so that you're not um losing that closure of the muscles because i mean your esophagus and where you breathe from are very close together so you definitely don't want 
you don't want any crossover there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, making sure you have good closure uh, with all the musculature. And there are um, exercises that you can do, but you know, when we talk about exercises as a speech therapist, it's somewhat of a slippery slope because a lot of people think you can do these oral motor exercises and it will just be a cure-all for everything. Mm -hmm. um, but there's really not any research to back that. But specifically with swallowing, um, there are some things that you can do to strengthen those muscles moving forward. And a lot of it um, with extubation, I think, again, I'm not an expert, but um, moving forward, as you continue to feed and drink, you gain a lot of that muscle mass back. Right. So some of it is just kind of a waiting game and um, continuing to use those muscles. But there are definitely things that can be done in the meantime and things that can supplement that just natural course of things after after the fact. It's good to know that you guys don't just pour a bunch of water down their throat and then be like, if you don't swallow it, you're going to die. It makes therapy interesting. Fight or flight. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, and we also have um, there's some interesting diagnostics that go into um, swallowing aspect of uh, the field and so they'll do barium swallows which is um, basically an x-ray and you'll have someone either like drink barium um, liquid or eat it on like a cracker or something and then from the x-ray you can see what's happening with the food you know from either being chewed or being drank all the way down to going into the esophagus and then eventually going into the stomach um, and then you can diagnose along the way, you know, is it going up into the nasal cavity? Like, are they getting adequate closure with all of the muscles? Um, you know, is the airway protected while they're swallowing? And uh, it's pretty crazy to watch. <laughs> it's a little gross, but what's, <laughs> it's, it's definitely fun to watch it. What's Just what like a cutaway of the half of someone's face and then this liquid moving through them. <laughs> what's barium? From what I've heard, it's very unpleasant. Barium. Yeah. Oh, I'll let you go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, barium does not taste good. So <laughs> it's pretty unpleasant. I have tasted it before and a oh. zero out of 10 would not recommend <laughs> But what is it? So it's just an element that you can see um, through the x-ray. So the reason that they use, use it is that it provides contrast. Okay. So if someone was only eating cracker you wouldn't really be able to see it move through the different systems mm -hmm. or if they're only drinking water you wouldn't be able to pick that up on the x-ray so it really just provides it's like yeah the bones the bones absorb a lot of x-rays so you can see them and if you uh, swallow a metal which barium is then that'll absorb okay. x-rays as well huh um, but it's harmless it's not gonna hurt you I'm gonna... of course we try to limit people's x-ray exposure so <laughs> we do like thousand modified barium swallows just to try and figure out what they're doing you want to do one and try to get it right on the first try mm. <laughs> all right um well we're at 45 minutes do you have any questions for us well do we're you have really... any more questions about speech pathology that's technically a question <laughs> touche <laughs> i mean i enjoyed it i it's extremely important like i don't because whenever because I had very much the vision of a speech pathologist that you had that you were talking about in like schools. They're just the people that help uh, people uh, 
how to how to speak correctly whenever you're in these development stages but like you never think about all of the different applications there could be for it and so mm -hmm. it's just cool to learn yeah yeah and i mean that's been it's been the best part of being in education in this is just like you find out new things all the time and i think that's really exciting to be in that type of field because like i said i'll never be bored there will always be something new and uh i think it's also a unique opportunity in working with people with disabilities because um i think getting to know what people's real needs are and like having them be able to communicate that when they might not have had that opportunity before is a unique position to be in um but an exciting one too so yeah there's definitely a lot more to it than what we originally thought <laughs> don't feel bad like i said i don't know any better either <laughs> not until i really got into it and really not until i got to graduate school did i understand the full scope of the practice mm -hmm. oh i guess i have one question but that's only very tangentially related is what took you to colorado to study um like I said, I did my undergrad uh, at Kent State, which is in Ohio, and it's about an hour and a half outside of where we all grew up. Mm -hmm. And I think I was just ready for a big change, and Colorado was definitely a big change in comparison to Ohio and Pennsylvania. Mm. Um, Welcome. Yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't love Pittsburgh. I, I will absolutely die on that hill every time. Um, but, yeah, I think... Um, it's just, you know, it's a unique place because you've got all the sunshine and so many outdoor opportunities. Um, and there's so much history here, too, that's really interesting. Like, the history of the West is fascinating. So it's been cool to, like, travel places and see where railroads originated and things like that. So, so me... I'll probably stick around for a little yeah. while. <laughs> Since we're since we're on it, I'm gonna stay on it. <laughs> so, Jordan and I are, and I think po possibly Jordan, me, and his wife Amy, and possibly two others are coming out to Colorado in October for. We need a place to crash. What's that? <laughs> we need a place no. to crash. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, welcome to stay in my basement. <laughs> There's gonna be a lot of you though. <laughs> Well, my, uh, Jaren, my older brother, is getting married, and so yeah. I'm I'm going out there for that for for two of the days. But the other rest of the time, I was like, "Hey, let's all go out to Colorado," because I was there once, and I was like, "Oh my god, this place is amazing." Yeah, I think like coming from the East Coast, you just you don't see mountains like this. Mm -hmm. the East Coast, like we have the Appalachian Mountains, and they are beautiful in their own right, but coming out here it's it's definitely a change it's on and cool to explore yeah we, it was like a picture every time you got up and you're like there's that <laughs> cool mountain right there <laughs> and i still feel that way like still when i'm driving i'm like wow i get to live here mm -hmm. <laughs> cool. awesome. so what are some recommendations that we do while we're up there if you have any what what area are you going to be uh in? colorado springs Okay, so I think um, I haven't actually spent much time in Colorado Springs. I'm north of Denver, so um, I'm a little far from there. But there is a national forest, I'm pretty sure, 
like pretty close to uh, the actual town. And Pikes Peak, obviously, is like the big thing to see when you're down there. But um, I mean, just any any place you can get into the mountains is worth it. And if you're coming in October, I don't know if it's like early or late October, early. but definitely try to okay well then definitely try to see the aspen trees change because that's a really cool site um it's huge mountains and then just these splashes of color everywhere mm. and uh there's plenty of aspen groves to go around so i would recommend some uh leaf viewing trips if you have time we were in bolt not jordan but i was in boulder with uh my family because jaron was running a uh, an ultra marathon there and um that area had no this is completely off topic <laughs> that area had no internet no phone cell phone service and one of his friends drove us up a mountain and i thought we were gonna die <laughs> was it uh flagstaff mountain i have no idea <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, it's a little sketchy sometimes driving out here. I've I've discovered my uh, comfort level with mountain driving, and it's definitely not going all the way to the top of the mountain <laughs> um, because a lot of places like don't necessarily have guardrails, and it's kind of just a road cut into the side of the mountain. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, I mean, if I if I swerved just a little bit, I would be going straight down, <laughs> and it would be a vertical drop. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, familiar with that feeling of I might die while I drive up this mountain. <laughs> <laughs> so last chance, any questions for us? <laughs> um I think so. All right. Well, we have we have very little expertise, but we're willing to comment on anything. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I'm I'm just starting my career out, so I wouldn't consider myself an expert by any stretch of the imagination. But I can at least talk a little bit about it. <laughs> well, thank you, Stephanie, so much for being on. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Um, if you think of any more therapy-related questions, I'm always available. Definitely will. And is there anything you would like to shout out? Any social media or anything you want want to be more known to our ten listeners? <laughs> um, I don't, my personal social media isn't all that exciting, so I probably probably wouldn't bore people with that. Um, but it is Better Speech and Hearing Month, so you know if you want to learn more about how oh, to have right. better speech and hearing, you could uh, Google the American Speech and Hearing Association probably get bored pretty fast but you could do that if you felt like it hey that's a pretty that's a pretty wholesome shout out though yeah <laughs> so, so. yeah at least at least you're not like our other guests were like shout out to you guys <laughs> you actually shout out something important <laughs> i mean i've definitely enjoyed listening and to be honest i this is the only podcast i listen to so oh. i don't know what that oh, wow. is. <laughs> thank you well, though. thank you yeah, it's fun to hear everybody from home. So, mm. <laughs> all right, keep doing what you're doing. We will. All right, well, thank you very much. We yeah. will. Yeah, definitely. So Stephanie has left the building, and uh, 
that was a <laughs> well we, we don't know if she's left the building but she she's not with us anymore she's not dead but uh she uh yeah his buddy how do you think that went <laughs> oh my god what better than that <laughs> <laughs> no um i have to say out of all of our guests that went better than i don't want to like trash on our other guests but that was a good one um she definitely knew what she was talking about which is always good <laughs> because well like we learned something and it's not only that we learned how speech pathology works it's that there's so much more that goes into it than what we originally thought mm-hmm. and she's a good advocate for it too I, I just, I think also some of the organization that went into that and we were talking afterward is uh, that she's still in grad student mode, which is, I like to convey that a lot of the knowledge I've gotten is from being in grad student mode and it sort of adds to our organization, but like, obviously she takes grad school way more seriously than I do. And <laughs> so she's like, she was on top of our notes. She probably added more to our notes than we did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Opening it up, I was like, holy crap, she actually, <laughs> she actually put stuff. <laughs> which which was good because, you know, and it gave it, it made it easy for us to flow through. And we, we kind of had an idea of like, okay, so this is where she's going to go with this. But she even went further and explained it even more for us. Yeah, it was, I wish we had a little bit more time to sort of just discuss, you know, uh, other other things other than the um, speech pathology but we're sort of running a little bit long and it seemed like i mean we got 45 really good minutes of conversation in there anyway so yeah uh yeah i really i didn't want to just um put out something that was an hour and a half long but yeah but hope maybe we'll have her back yeah Uh, it saves room for the future Hmm. i thought it was really interesting um learning like how they deal with people with uh that can't speak at all like the link mm-hmm. the link six like the uh, uh, i don't remember all six was like ooh ah uh, sounds like that mm-hmm. i thought that was pretty interesting and then how they're dealing with it during this um pandemic we have going on yeah i'm sure that's a i'm sure that's a tough game to play because we have uh we have our own technical difficulties that sort of and we're at least we understand each other pretty well i'm sure trying to like actually do constructive work that revolves around the very careful process of making someone speak words like Mm. and communicating generally just oof like good for them like thank god we have people like that yeah but uh one of the other things i like was sort of uh, we've sort of gotten a theme of so we get podcast guests but based on who we can get and a lot of the people are people we grew up with or people that we know and are friendly with and it's just interesting to me to see that you know we're only 16 episodes in now and we can pull a bunch of people because we were all raised the same way and we generally thought the same things whenever we left here but then uh you know we're gone for what is now seven-ish eight-ish years and then we come back and everybody's their own expert it's you know it's good to see i think it's 
that's not a theme we were trying to set up whenever we started this, but it's a very it's a very nice theme, and I like it. It's right. Wholesome. It's it's taken a um, a life of its own almost. Mm-hmm. It's like we'll talk to someone and they'll be like, "Oh, I heard your podcast," and it's one of our friends reaching out saying like, "Oh, keep it up," and then I then just like turn around <laughs> like. Well, if you like it, you have out your own be on it. I'm sure you got something to say. Mm. Yeah. No, but I think um, I mean we'll probably keep doing that for a, at least a little bit until we get the one guest that we don't know. <laughs> yeah, the, eventually we'll take that step. The ever the ever so elusive unknown guest. Yeah. And. uh yeah, but it was really good. Really good episode. It was. The let us know what you guys think, though. Yes, please. L- please let yeah, us know. I guess I guess we don't know if it's good until people tell us if it's good. Yeah, but, uh, like we can think it's good a- immediately after we do it, but we won't actually know until someone says like, "Oh yeah, that was a good episode," or if they share it on their social media, which we also would be really appreciative of if you did that too. Word of mouth too, because it's. It's one thing, you know, I share it and nobody uh, on Facebook and nobody uh, so much clicks on it from there. But, like, actually telling someone, like, hey, this is a podcast that I listen to and it's worth listening to. It's different than just, like, sort of throwing it up on the front page and being like, this is, this exists. And then, mm-hmm. and then just kind of sits there. It, it's good if you, like, actually advocate for uh, the content that we're putting out. But uh, maybe they're waiting for that content to be better, but... Uh, we can only do we, what we can we could, do right now. <laughs> we can speed up that process if we get feedback. So yeah, yeah. There's that. Shoot, and, us, uh, shoot us a DM, email us, follow our pages. We're everywhere. Like my lifting vids. Yeah, please like my lifting vids so my uh, <laughs> lifting page will can take off and I can get sponsored. Sponsored there too. Then I'll stop doing podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> if this is hurting your ears, help get me a sponsorship elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, tell your enemies. Um, last thing I wanted to touch on was the... I was a little hesitant to approach the COVID stuff today just because I'm sure everyone's heard it a lot and I can't remember if we... Uh, talked about how we've heard too much about covid uh lately so uh i've had enough of it but <laughs> as far as, as far as people talking about it i've had enough of it obviously it's still a problem and i'm gonna we're gonna have to deal with it and we don't even, we don't have to go into the reason but uh you know i engage some people on facebook over things about covid that i don't like to see being put out and uh uh you can only spend too much time on Facebook is my uh, summary statement there. But uh, what do you think, buddy? On how you approached it? <laughs> no, not on how, not, not how I approached it. Like, I get it. I'm not going to change everybody's mind. And nobody, nobody, uh, nobody wants me to change their mind. And that's fine. If people are generally open to information, I, I want to provide it for people. But if they don't want to change their mind, that's fine too, I guess. Right. I mean... Honestly, I, I'll, I'll see something like that, and I'll just be like, okay. And I'll just, I, you know, I just shake it off because I know it's it's not true. I know it's wrong. But if, right. and you can only change so many people's minds. And the only way that you're going to change someone's mind about 
this COVID-19, if you think it's fake or if you think it's there's some underlying thing happening here, mm-hmm. is you have to start a conversation as to why. Like, why do you think this is the way it is? Why do you think... Like, what's making you think that the government is plotting against you? Mm-hmm. What does the government have to gain, honestly? Let's think about right. that. And then uh, the obvious response to that is money and power. And they're like, okay, so they can go buy a new boat. All right, so the, there's the money. <laughs> and they're, right. they, they hold this power over you, how... And, you don't, I don't know, you just have to try to start a conversation, but not make them make them feel like they're they're wrong or they're dumb because nobody's dumb in the situation they have their their they have their reason and their reasons are valid hmm. it's just <laughs> their reasons are wrong <laughs> right you have to well yeah I, I whenever someone posts something and I and I know I'm taking this far too seriously mm. and it's just it, it's a product of the people who I choose to engage with but whenever I post something on Facebook, it's because I've looked at it and I've said, this is a position, unless I comment otherwise, I generally mean that this is a position that I agree with and I'm willing to defend and I think has validity. But when people post those, so whenever people post those videos with just straight disinformation, I I think they believe it and I'm like, "Good, good that you believe in something and good that you're engaging. But at the same time, you, if you want to stand beside that content, then you should be able to defend it, especially when it has something to do with something this serious. Because, right. you know, if it's some dude who wants to say Ford's better than Chevy and want to, you know, spot whatever uh, stats they want to about that, that's fine. But like this, they got tornadoes in their engines. <laughs> <laughs> Real tornadoes. Don't look up that video. It didn't age well. But, um, but, um, no, this, this is, this is serious. It's a difference of degrees. And, uh, uh, I, I, I will continue to engage people on those types of points, even if it makes me look like an idiot or something. I just, but, but no, it's not out of hate or out of thinking you're dumb. It's you're, you're trying to give them the right information. That's all you can believe that the coronavirus has an underlying theme but that doesn't change the fact that it's still a real thing Mm -hmm. so even if the government's out to get you with this coronavirus people are still getting sick so the virus is real let's handle that and then if the government's still out to get you we'll do that we'll deal with that afterwards right and that's I guess that's the last little bit. Like, everyone's scared. Everyone's trying to do the best they can. Some governors are going to overreact, and that it's a problem, and we should address it, and nobody should minimize it. But it doesn't mean the entire government is going after you. And on the other side of that coin is there are governors who don't think this is a big deal, and they're going to open things up, and things are going to get worse. And, again, they're just trying the best that they can because uh, staying indoors all the time is going to have problems. Uh but also letting people go fr- um, freely is going to cause a lot of problems. And to pretend like one of those things doesn't exist just because you're hurting in a particular way is 
that's bad news. Like both of these very serious consequences can be true at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, people don't like spinning a story that way. No. I mean, and, and to be fair, people don't like hearing the same thing over and over and over and over again on the news. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when they keep, when they hear pat or hear patterns like that, they're led to think, why why is this being forced down my throat, kind of thing. So, yeah, I can understand where people come from, but just know that it's still real, no matter what. Stop watching the news. Get your news from Twitter. Read it instead. <laughs> it's easier easier to digest that way, and you'll get all the important stuff too. Mm. Follow follow it one good epidemiologist. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> and follow follow us at the J and J Connection P O one on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the J and J Connection podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, and they're available wherever you can get podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at JJ Connection Podcast, Twitter at JJ Connection P O One, Facebook at JJ Connection Podcast, and email us at J and J Connection95 at gmail.com. Jordan needs to update this part of the script. Oh wait. <laughs>